Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Season 2 finale of Babylon 5, The Fall of Night. This is a fantastic episode with a chilly ending, some great themes, some great historical references, just all around amazing episode, one of the best season finales, and just hits it out of the park which is how good it is you know um where to begin it, it's kind of hard to figure out where to begin because there's just so much that happens in this episode um i i think i think i'll start with um the 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 uh entire zach situation because that that that's an underlying thing that runs throughout the entire episode and we even see the ramifications of it in the montage at the end in that the night watch is becoming more and more relevant uh and uh, as we saw when he joined the night watch way back earlier this season you know the way he, he was he was naive to their way of thinking you know he was just simply the report on the report on anything that seems suspicious any kind of suspicious behavior things like that uh, he was like, you know, get the pay, get paid extra for doing the, my uh, the job I already do. Well, it's not the like. It's because he wasn't thinking about the way they were think uh, the way they're thinking about reports, uh, and that's proven when, you know, he's at the meeting of the Night Watch and uh, Mr. Wells basically uses peer pressure and bullying tactics to get Zach to quarters, and the fact that. He legitimately didn't have anything to report because Zach doesn't think in their terms. He doesn't think about disloyalty in the way that they think about disloyalty. He sees someone practicing their right to freedom of speech. He doesn't see it as being disloyal to the president or whatever. And when he is peer pressured as basically, literally, it's, it's like being in a room full of lions and being raw meat. The way the way Mr. Wells does that entire conversation of, really, you had nothing to report? And why don't you just confirm this? You, you know, please, uh, just, just show us that you, you, you are with us, basically. It's either you're with us or you're against us. Uh, classic intimidation and, and manipulation tactics. And Zach coerces and just goes, okay, okay yeah, I confirm. And then we see at the end during the montage the uh, the shop being closed down on allegations that uh, of sedition. Think about that for a second. Someone who we saw in previous episodes, by the way, <laughs> talking about uh uh you know uh the the entire situation with Clark and uh and Sheridan had that great moment where he goes, "There's a difference between the office and the person currently holding said office." It's horrifying to think that anything you do would be judged like that. Uh, and these guys are Nazis. There is no sugarcoating what they are and who they are. They're thought police. They are literally Nazis. They will run around, and if you do not think the way they do, they will punish you for it. And... You know, they, they talk about, Mr. Wells talks about how disloyalty can simply just be a thought. Something brought up earlier when uh, when the previous Night Watch person made sure to have Talia in the room. This is classic peer pressure on Zack, and it 
it's it's a hard scene to watch because he, it, it's just so, it's so well done that you feel just as uncomfortable as Zack does. And you can start seeing that Zack is starting to go, oh, this is what they are. He's He was naive, but he's starting to wake up to what they are. And you can tell it's making him uncomfortable. But he still went along with the pure pressure because in that kind of situation, it's either kill or be killed, you know? And there, there's this entire idea of complacency. Of, um, basically, if you do nothing, you're just as bad as, uh, the people who do horrible things. Even if you disagree with the horrible things, if you don't do anything about it. Uh, and right now, Zach is being apathetic. He's being complacent. It's clear he's uncomfortable with the situation. And he doesn't agree with it. And he's seen the ramifications of that. It's going to be interesting, uh, to see how he evolves, uh, and, uh, because this isn't a spoiler, he's part of the main cast members next season. So, the way Zack evolves as a character is fascinating. Uh, and, I, and everything to do with the Night Watch in this episode, uh, really, really well done. Uh, the actor playing Mr. Wells does a fantastic job of conveying that sort of slimy businessman type attitude but he's got this certain amount of charisma behind all of his words. So even though he is doing horrible things, he says it in a way that you can't help but listen to him. If you understand what I mean. There's a difference between being likable and being charismatic. He's charismatic, but he's certainly not likable. You know, um... In 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 the way he talks to Ivanova earlier on in the episode of it's all quid pro quo, he makes you think one thing. It's carried in the stick, makes you think one thing, uh, in order to get you to acquiesce to another. So he offers to assist Ivanova in her career to get her the starship she wants to command, uh, get her on the fast track if she does something very minor, you know, uh, carried in the stick approach, um. He does the same thing with Sheridan later on when Sheridan uh, is saying, I followed regulations in regards to what to do with the Narn heavy cruiser. And he goes, yes, you did. But if you had done this instead, oh, and by the way, you're going to have to issue an apology. It is all classic manipulation. The actor really sells it. Uh, the, the Night Watch are your Nazi... Uh, organization uh, and having seen stuff like that in real life you know it's it, it's just as horrifying you know this this doesn't sugarcoat it they're pure pressure bullying tactics uh, classic intimidation and manipulation now the entire uh, situation uh, with the Centauri and Earth um, so the ambassador, uh, Mr. Lance comes to, uh, comes to negotiate with the Centauri and it's very clear what he's there for from the beginning. It's very clear that they're going to sign a non-aggression pact or in some way align themselves with the Centauri. Uh, he's very dismissive of Jakar. Uh, he has no interest in talking to any Narn whatsoever and, uh, he talks constantly about wanting to avoid further bloodshed 
and leaving a legacy. And the way Mr. Lance is presented, he's this grandfatherly type figure, this older, more wizened character, and to have him pursue something uh, very clear, uh, clearly uh, that that he has a passion for, but we don't agree with, is an interesting subversion of the trope where you you often see ambassadors that are presented in that way as young and naive and brash, uh, where he's more fatherly, grandfatherly, older, wiser. And this plays into the World War II parallels, because if you treat the Irish-Mimbari War as World War One, because they talk about the Irish-Mimbari War almost like that, at least the humans do, and, and and how Mr. Lance was like, I'm tired of all the bloodshed. Uh, that, you know, I, I want to leave a legacy for my children to have them live in a better future. And when he when he is to sign the non-aggression pact with the 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 Centauri, he even pulls a quote, an, an actual quote uh, from the World War Two era, which is. We will, at last, know peace in our time. This was said just before the outbreak of World War II in relation to uh, acquiescing to Hitler's demands. Because uh, Hitler kept making demand after demand after demand, and because the world was so afraid of what would happen, another world war, everybody there remembered what World War I was like. They'd all been there. They'd all seen the bloodshed. They didn't want it again. World War I was hell. They didn't want to see that again, and so they did everything they could to avoid it, and it only led to even more bloodshed and even more atrocities by giving someone like that exactly what he wanted. Um, and the fact that Earth takes an isolationist standpoint of, you know, we're afraid, we're afraid of everything, so we're going to in we're going to break everything we stand for in order to ensure peace so that we don't have to deal with anything, make Sheridan question the uniform. You know, he even talks about that, you know, when I first put put on that uniform, I felt 10 feet tall and I could take on the entire galaxy. And, and now I can't even wear it, you know. He, he, and if one of us is perhaps 2260 is the year we redefine it. Earth and Sheridan are distinctly going separate ways. We see at the beginning that Sheridan is foreseeing the coming conflict. He sees what's going on. Uh, you know, he confronts Londo, and Londo, uh, you know, makes mention of that the that 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 the Centauri need a buffer room. They need breathing room. Okay, that is the classic cry of war. Or, you know, war leaders. They they they. Uh, they, they continue and perpetuate more and more violence as an idea of, oh, we just need a buffer zone or we need breathing room. Uh, and it, we're just taking back what we owe, what is owed to us, what was ours. And, uh, you know, we, we, we promise not to escalate things and things inevitably escalate. And so he is having his pilots train to fight the Centauri. And he and he's running these drills quite often, and we see that the ambassador, Mr. Lance, puts an end to them because, well, the Centauri are now going to be our allies. We signed a non-aggression pact with them. And 
Sheridan distinctly is against this because he Sheridan is is about as close as you can without outright declaring it pro Narn. Uh, he he wants to help Jakar in any way possible because he sees the coming violence. He sees what the Centauri have turned into. Plus, he knows about the shadows, and so th this is this is him getting the army of light ready for the coming war. The war he knows is coming. Him and Earth are going two separate directions now. Um, you know, it would be fascinating to see where this 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 develops I, I i can get into this in the spoiler section because obviously i know where it's going but uh it, it there's there's obviously a divide there's been a divide between him and earth for a while uh the conspiracy of light situation uh and all that but now it's getting even wider now the entire uh londo situation um notice that londo has become Almost a caricature. He is angry, boisterous. Uh, he's constantly saying things with a snarl with him. Uh, in the Indian montage, when uh, 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 when Ivanova talks about how it was inevitable that the Centauri stretched out their war to neighboring worlds, he's shouting and screaming and waving his arms in in the council meeting. He's had to resort to theatrics to keep this up. Uh, Garibaldi puts this perfectly. Uh, look into his eyes. You can see fear. It's like someone that has latched onto a wild animal and is too afraid to let go because they're afraid they're going to be bucked off. That's where Londo is right now. He's in a situation where he's damned if he does or damned if he doesn't. He has to keep riding this wave. And if he doesn't, he's going to get killed. But there's a likelihood that even if he continues, he'll get killed anyway. So he's got to ride it. As we see... When Sheridan is berating him about the buffer zone situation, Londo agrees. It's clear he's uncomfortable with the entire situation. And even when we talk about the Narn cruiser situation, when Sheridan breaks down his plan that I offered them sanctuary, or well, you know, we're we're there to supply them with the stuff necessary to get their ship running, and then we'll see them off. We're we're not taking sides. We're just we're we're obeying orders and helping those in need. Londo has this look about him where he's like, where, where he almost agrees over the intercom, but he realizes, no, I have to act this way. I am a member of the Centauri, the great lion of the galaxy, and we are the conquerors. This is the mask he must wear now. And it gets even more tragic because it's almost like he's trapped in his own life now. This is a bit of irony because this is the life he wanted, and yet it's also the life he doesn't want. And he hopes there's some redeeming thing, some light at the end of the tunnel that will bring him out of this. And when Kosh reveals himself to the entire station and saves Sheridan, and everybody sees something, some sort of aspect of the religion or something, what does Londo see? He sees nothing. Nothing at all. That is the tragedy of Londo Malari.
And that tragedy is only going to get far, far worse from here. Now, the entire situation with the Narn Heavy Cruiser. Sheridan handled it correctly uh, in the fact that this is a really tough political decision. Either you uh, take sides by letting the Centauri know or helping helping the Narn in, 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 in uh, or, or you side with the, the Narn and help them. Uh, there, it's basically damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. So Sheridan proceeds to help the Narn in any official capacity he can, just enough to get them going, and then will uh and then will acquiesce to any other requests, uh and uh, not help them any further. You know, it's just there to make sure that they survive, they get what they need. He he and when the Centauri show up, and are making demands, he he plays it coolly. You know, they lock weapons on him. He locks weapons back. He refuses to fire until they fire upon him. It is the diplomatic way to handle the situation. Babylon 5 is about neutrality and keeping the peace. And in this situation, there is no neutral option. You have to choose the lesser of evils. So that's what he does. And he plays it coolly and calmly, and that's the way it should be handled. Shows how great of a leader Sheridan is. And I, I love the fact that he spits it right back in their face when he's, like, you know, you, you move the station from neutrality to a pro-Narn position. He's like, no, this is the regulation. We are there to help those in need, blah, 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 blah. And he, he throws everything they were throwing back at him, saying, you broke our orders right back at them, showing that he is one of those soldiers that is a good soldier. Soldiers don't blindly follow orders. Anybody that tells you that don't don't know how soldiers work. Soldiers are free will. They have free will. They're human beings. They're allowed to interpret orders. There's a reason there's this thing called illegal orders. They're allowed to interpret orders and disobey them if they believe they violate the rules in some way. And that's what Sheridan was doing. He threw the rule back right back at them. Just takes the rule book, slaps him in the face practically with it. And goes, no, this is my position. The end. And the apology that he is forced to give to the Centauri, uh, you know, it's it's a way to humiliate him in the eyes of the public. That uh, for, for his brash actions, he'll be punished by this. And that's why they chose a very public place. Of course, he never gets to say it because of the assassination attempt. But I do love the apology he says in the mirror. You know, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I defended myself against an unwarranted attack against a station with a quarter million of civilians, including your own people. And I'm sorry I waited as long as I did before I blew them straight to hell. Sheridan is a very moral man. And they're making him cross his morality to go beyond that that line to obey orders he doesn't believe in blindly following the rules he believes in doing the right thing and sometimes the right thing is not always the correct thing it's very important and i i think that sheridan if nothing else fails 
Sheridan is the leader you would follow in this kind of situation. Hell, I know he's one of the most, uh, even though he's a fictional leader, he's one of the most charismatic leaders and a, someone I would follow to the ends of the earth. So maybe that's me being a very moral person and having my own beliefs and seeing Sheridan reflect that. But I'm, I'm glad to have someone like that that's not blindly doing their job but is actually looking at it from a moralistic standpoint and willing to do the right thing and to stand up to his superiors and tell them no. Before I move on, just think about where the Narns are at this moment. They've been decimated. They've been enslaved. It's hell for them. And this is the last heavy cruiser. You know, who knows how many survived the war? If any, this may be the last one. And the, they're not stupid. They're not going to waste their lives in a guerrilla war. They're going to save up, and they're going to help slowly and in small chunks, but hopefully sooner or later they will liberate the darn people from the grasp of the Centauri. But just think about how low the morale of that ship must be. And then to have this situation, it's sad. And that's the thing about Babylon 5. It doesn't present easy choices, nor easy situations. It's willing to punch you in the gut. Now, the entire assassination on uh, Sheridan, uh, the, the, the special effects of Sheridan falling from the trolley, uh, the, the tram thing was, you know, they have not aged well, you can tell, you know, uh, this is one of the sad things about Babylon 5 is that he was made in the 90s, pretty much role, wrote the rule book on how CGI is used in television, you know, it, some of its special effects, well, all of the special effects look dated, but sometimes they can be well done enough that you can forgive their dated look, that is... I'm sorry, I just can't. It, it, it does look a bit silly. However, Kosh going and saving him is a big, big move. The Vorlons have now actively taken a stand and publicly shown themselves. And this adds into the idea I was talking about with Comes the Inquisitor. They hired Jack the Ripper to interrogate Delenn. Okay? Now we see that the Vorlons appear as angels to humans, or religious leaders, or or gods, or what have you to other races. Uh, and as Sheridan puts it, does that mean they've been manipulating us? And Delenn says it's a matter of perspective. So, are the Vorlons really trustworthy? Sure, Kosh did a good thing by saving Sheridan. And sure, they 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 take on the aspects of angels. So, you know, angels are the good guys, right? Think about that for a second. Really think about that for a second. Someone that presents themselves and maybe they be the foundation of our religions. Is that a good thing? Because to me, that seems like a form of manipulation to get us to obey them, to do what they want. Something I talked about last last time becomes the Inquisitor. It's peace, the barrel of a gun. The Vorlon way. You're the nail to be hammered down. 
bang, bang, bang. The the entire ending montage with uh uh with with Ivanova's uh talking of you know uh the end of the year twenty two fifty nine the war hit was upon us. Um, we we came we came here because it was our last best hope for peace, and uh, but now it became something greater. Our last best hope for victory, because sometimes peace is just another word for surrender. It's it's chilling words, and really shows that this episode was a pure demonstration of the failure of Babylon 5's mission statement. We have been talking about peace. We have been showing the cooperation of the races and how that's slowly been degenerating over two seasons. And now we have seen the complete collapse of what Babylon 5 stands for. There is no peace anymore. It's not our last best hope for peace anymore. It can't be. As, as Sheridan said, our job is not to enforce the peace. Uh, and now Babylon 5 must take on a new mission statement. And sometimes peace truly is just another word for surrender. I talked about earlier that apathy uh, is uh, in the situation with the Night Watch can be seen as collaboration. Complacency, uh, sometimes not doing anything, is worse than, uh, than doing the wrong thing. It, it's a really well done ending sequence. And punches you in the gut. And then we end on Warren Keffer's story. Uh, finally, he has a relevant plotline. And he's dead. Yay, much cheering. Because no one remembered him. He was forgettable. He was boring. No offense to the actor. But just a boring character. Once again, I mentioned forced on JMS by the studio. Uh, but he ran with it. And he gave him a plot line that ran through this season. It wasn't all that engaging, but it led to this episode where it becomes plot relevant, super important, and ends us on an actually chilling moment where we are now scared of the future. The Vorlons made a public appearance. Now the shadows return in kind. Now everybody knows because Warren Keffer's video leaks out. And I wonder if that leaking out was intentional or not. Hmm. Now everybody knows the shadows exist, and now everybody knows what the Vorlons look like. The pawns are now in place. The chess game can begin. This is big. And if the war and the complete failure of Babylon 5's mission statement wasn't scary enough, now the entire galaxy is in danger. We already knew it was in danger, but now it's for real, yo, kind of situation. There's no longer playing around. Safety gloves have come off. It's going to get really good from here on. This is... Fantastic. Season 2 was amazing. Sure, it had a couple duds and a couple just okay things. And sure, it had other writers in it that wasn't JMS. So sometimes there was just standalone episodes, but it was really well done. Yes, it is better than Season 1. I, I still don't understand why people say skip Season 1. I talked about that before. I think Season 1 is vital. 
because you wouldn't have the connection to the characters that you have in this moment if you had, had not experienced two seasons with them. So the complete failure of Babylon 5 as a thing in itself, the mission statement of peace, the last best hope for peace, the complete failure of that means nothing. And the effects it has on these characters means nothing if you haven't experienced these two seasons. What a great episode. What a great season. I'll see you next time for the beginning of season three. And in, in as JMS would put it, the third act or the complication in a five-act structure. See you then. Bye.